meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my You know, there's good days and bad days, and there are days that feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, um, I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Art in Everyday Life. The key to living an artful life is to relax into our sense experience and not try to manipulate it or use it for personal gain. Then we realize that the world is an open field of confident experience, constantly refreshing us to face the hassles of our world with genuine grace. Today we are joined by Brian Wade. Brian is a musician and teacher based in Brooklyn, New York. He has practiced Shambhala Buddhist meditation since 1995 and has taught meditation since 2004 in New York City, Vermont, and Colorado. He's been a music educator since 1998, focusing on private guitar lessons, and has recently created Authentic Music Performance Training, a course for integrating musical skill with performance confidence. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. If you enjoy this talk and are an artist based in New York City, we invite you to join us tomorrow evening for a four-week contemplative arts course led by Brian Wade, Rachel Farrow, Allison Pepper, and Betsy Kenyon. This course begins at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, October 11th at the Nalanda Bodhi Center in New York City. If you're interested in attending, visit ShambalaNYC.org to register now. Here's Brian to take away the discussion. We all can live an artful life, right? Um, certainly in certain areas of our life, certain ways. We may not earn a living from making art, which is the definition of a professional artist, right? Someone who makes a living doing something. Um, so that's one type of artist. So actually what we're going to talk about here is what artists use, what artists do, and what you do, whether you formalize it or not. Just what kind of what happens, how, what, why people make art, why art touches us, you know. And the fact is that the art is, uh, something that we experience through our sense perceptions. We experience almost everything through our sense perceptions. Artists pay close attention to sense perceptions. Really get interested in them, get involved, and kind of go on little journeys and then come back and show us what they found. We do that when we cook a meal, tell a joke. <laughs> I'm not good at telling jokes. I know four. But, you know, as long as I don't tell them too often, they work. So, uh... So I'm going to read now the, the little uh, thing that I wrote as this, the description for this, this class. Uh, aesthetic experience is free from concept, analysis, and doubt. 
So this is the point of view that this is coming from, what we're going to do today is coming from. Aesthetic experience is free from concept, it's free from analysis, it's free from doubt, and it allows us to experience confidence. This can occur when we're experiencing art, when we're creating art, or simply looking out a window. So aesthetic experience, aesthetics is just a technical, I don't know, philosophical term, um, just talking about appreciating art. I'm widening that a little bit. I'm widening that a little bit. Um, I'm not just talking about art. I'm actually talking about all sense perceptions that we come across. We do come across great paintings, great works of, uh, of theater, of poetry, of music, and they really get us with our sense perceptions. But we also, you know, taste great food, and we, we see uh, there's a beautiful row of houses across the street that I do. Actually, it's there every day. Uh, so. You know, I'm opening up to all of that. So we had that statement a minute ago. Uh, this is from the Shambhala Buddhist teachings and that were brought to us by uh, Chogyam Trungpa, who was a meditation master who came over in 1970 uh, to North America and brought Buddhist teachings. And he was an artist of many different disciplines. I'm a musician. He didn't say much about music. <laughs> I've kind of been on my own. <laughs> so uh, I've worked with a lot of non-musician artists, uh, learning about these teachings that are generally called Dharma art teachings. There's a book called um, True Perception that collects a lot of these. This is where a lot of this stuff comes from. And so what he presented this, was this notion that, that the sense perception experience, when we see something, when we taste something, when we hear something, it's, it's a flash of an experience that is non-conceptual. It is our mind open and awake. We're aware. It is a part of our mind that we often don't really pay a lot of uh, heed to, or that's not the right word, but part of our mind that we often don't think about. <laughs> we often identify with our thoughts, with our concepts, what we think about this, what we think about that. When we have a sense perception, it can be absolutely a zap, like a pure experience. It's also not, sometimes it's not a zap, sometimes it's a sense of space, who knows? It can be in a lot of different ways. But the thinking and the judgment and the naming of it, and whether we like it or whether we don't, is uh, that comes in after the initial experience. The, the experience itself is just kind of direct. So all the other stuff actually, which does happen, the naming of things, the you know, whether we like it, um, is it the best that we've seen or not? All that comes in after the initial hit. So to speak. And so the idea is through this, um, these sense perceptions, through that experience, uh, we can also experience confidence, which is not what we often think of and hear about when we hear about confidence. There's a whole trend in ads now, right? Of like, we've got your back, you can do it, you know, all this kind of stuff. 
buy our shoes and because we believe in you, you know, that kind of stuff. Just kind of pumping ourselves up and, and listing all the reasons that we're qualified to do so-and-so. That is, a, I guess, a kind of confidence. But we're talking about a different part or a different way of experiencing confidence, which is really more of a, an absence of doubt rather than building something. It's an absence of doubt. So when we experience, the idea that we're going to explore today is when we experience sense perceptions, we can access that state of mind that knows, I am tasting this. I am seeing this. This is happening. And there's no doubt there. <laughs> so this is an interesting thing to, to explore. These are some of the basic, uh, some of the some of the teachings, some of the ways of, of getting into some of these teachings. And what we're going to do today is see what we think about this. We're going to see if we can, um, we're going to do it. We're going to see what happens. So um, as I said, I'm a music teacher and uh, I, I teach um, guitar. I teach, and I have recently been teaching some classes that are based on performance and um, songwriting, a separate class on songwriting. And they use these uh, principles, among others. And so I've kind of adapted, I had to adapt those from things from theater and, and uh, visual art. Uh, Jack Nyland was mentioned. He's a visual artist. He's I worked with him a good bit, and he worked with uh, Chugging Trunkwa a lot, and I'll be presenting a practice that he passed on to me and several others. Madeline Bruiser is a musician who was mentioned earlier. She's a member of our community and um, is a piano instructor, classical music. I've worked with her a lot, and I've worked with some things with her that we'll, we'll do today, too, with sound. So... What we're doing here is um, the what we're doing with the uh, the classes that I teach. These classes that I teach are helping uh, musicians who are stuck um, either with performance. There's something that's kind of they feel like their performance is canned, or they uh, you know stage fright issues or something. Finding a way to like really be able to be who they are on stage. And when it comes to um, Songwriting, a lot of people feel stuck. They feel like they have nothing to say. They feel like what they're saying is the same thing over and over again. They're blocked. It's also a way of working with that to access inspiration. And it starts with these practices that we're going to do right now. So the key to experiencing uh, this, this type of confidence through your sense perception is to relax into the experience of the sense perceptions and not try to um, manipulate them, not try to get anything out of them, not try to you know, use them for some sort of a personal story or something. That's an interesting thing, like how would anyone use you know, the smell of a lemon to, <laughs> you know, to crank up a personal story or manipulate something. That's... That's a big journey. <laughs> so right now we're just going to look at the moment, but that it can be done. Um, and what this does, whenever we do this practice, uh, this allows our mind and our body to synchronize. Um, 
And Trumper showed us a way to work with sense perceptions, um, which is a traditional uh, Tibetan Buddhist way of working with sense perceptions to synchronize the mind and the body as well, to be in the same place right here with our experience. So this experience uh, is also, it's instantaneous. There's no pro thought process is necessary. We don't have to make it happen. It happens. We know that, right? <laughs> you just see something. It happens. So we don't have to do anything to make it happen. And then all the thinking part, as I mentioned before, it comes later. And we also don't really need to indulge in it. All we need is like this little, just a tap. Because it's always available. It's always available. This um, experience. Now. A lot of, like I mentioned before, a lot of times the uh, our mind is in one place and our body is always in the present, but our mind comes and goes. Uh, it's here and then it's remembering or projecting something that might happen that we hope happens or something that we hope doesn't happen. And a lot of times we um, just kind of miss out on what we're doing, you know. I noticed this when I eat ice cream. Um, I get a cup of ice cream because the bowl's too big. You know, I need a cup. So I get a cup of ice cream. Tastes, oh, that's so good. That's fantastic. And then, and then I'm down to the last bite of ice cream. And it's like, oh, that last bite's really good too. Wait a minute. I didn't, I need another bowl of ice cream. I need another cup of ice cream. So I end up eating a bowl of ice cream because I eat two cups of ice cream. So, but it's because I often have just not, I'm only there for the first bite and the last bite. <laughs> and all we need to do a lot of times is just kind of slow down. And the thing is that whenever we taste that first bite of ice cream, cold texture and all that, there is a real kind of a present Quality. There's, you're just there with the, the taste, the flavor, the experience, the texture. Uh, there's a, um, a talk, and it's in, it's in this book, which is just white flash. Ah, there we go. By Chogyam Trungpa, um, Great Eastern Sun is the title of the book. And he talks about drinking a glass of water. He even says, try it. So let's try it. Uh, he says that that is a way that we can synchronize mind and body. We can be in one place. A lot of times when you drink water, you're just there drinking water. He, he gives an image of coming in after you know, working out in the heat or something, or being out in the heat, coming in and drinking a glass of water, and you're just there. It's just... So when your mind and body are synchronized somewhat, Pick up your glass of water and drink it in one draught. <laughs> but uh, don't don't just sip a little bit and don't force it down. You know, just just drink it and feel what it feels like to drink water. So uh, in his talk. Um, Trungpa mentioned that when you're drinking a glass of water, 
you're just there drinking a glass of water. Yeah, it's it's very simple. And I just remember reading this talk and going, Oh my god, you don't really think when you drink water. You know? I mean if you're busy you do, but a lot of times it's just it kind of stops your mind and you just you're there. The glass is clear, the water's clear, you're just kind of clear for a few seconds. So let's just kind of do this again. Um, and this time we're going to take a bite of what we have to eat. <laughs> if you eat the whole thing, that's up to you. <laughs> but there's that, if, if the last thing we did of just some kind of like being there and kind of aware that you're drinking water, if that kind of happened for you, see if that can happen again with something that actually has some more complex flavor to it. So, um, and once again, we're going to do our little, I call it tuning in, our just basically sit upright, breathe out, relax, relax out with your breath. I often experience a sense of spaciousness when I drink the glass of water like that. And I've noticed that that can be present too when, um, when you're having another, a different experience. So, so uh, one thing, with the breath, breath out, the breathing out. So right now, just kind of imagine... So like soften, like soften the boundary between your inner world and the outer world. Just kind of soften that boundary a little bit. And then take a bite and be there with it. Just see what happens. Let it come to you. You don't need to. Let it come to you. So once again, this is a very simple thing to do, which is in a way the point. <laughs> would anyone, does anyone have anything they would like to say, Rosario? Hey, I I had a piece of cheese, pretty good, but uh, I what I noticed is that when I was eating it like this, it was way stronger than when I eat it normally, and it and much more complex. Mm -hmm. I eat it fast, uh, or fast, or normally fast. It's a much uh, more mundane experience, in a way. <laughs> now I had this piece of cheese, and I was thinking, oh, this is really good. <laughs> Gotta buy more. <laughs> but, no, it, but specifically the complexity. I mean, I was tasting a lot more. I went, in a way, with the taste, from, very, from being a very simplistic thing, a very simple thing, a piece of cheese that it's good, and then it put in my mouth, and I was feeling like uh, I guess like people who know about wine must feel when you start getting, <laughs> not me, but uh, that you start getting the different uh, nuances and different, uh, and, and it, it changes in your mouth. Yeah. It's not a static thing. It changes, and also, after two bites, I was done. Generally, <laughs> what happens? I would in in a normal situation I would have eaten several 
pieces of cheese. And after you eat it like that, it's like, okay, satisfied. Yes, that that brings up, I'm so glad you mentioned these, these two things. One, the sort of complexity, the, the way that, you know, cheese, a certain kind of cheese, and we think of one flavor or one thing. And it actually often goes through many different stages. Even if it is one flavor, it will kind of, well, one of the words they use with cheese is bloom, right? You know, it'll, it'll kind of go, I had that same experience. I had cheese too. And okay. Oh, that's good. And then there was one point where it was just like, whoa. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like. Wow, is that it's almost? It's almost frightening. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you know, it's just kind of coming. Yeah. It's in, it's small, but it's intense. You know, yeah, it was it like, was just a piece of cheese. You know, like. And the other thing is the notion of satisfaction. Yeah, that's a big one. This is something I teach with music a lot. Um, a lot of times when we're not really present with what we're experiencing. Whether it's a piece of cheese or talking to someone or, you know, having a conversation. We often leave the experience feeling unsatisfied. And, uh, you know, you can eat a huge meal and be stuffed and still feel like it wasn't really very good. <laughs> and then you can also go and have someone who's very good at preparing food, either a restaurant or a friend or maybe you yourself, and it's presented in a way that you have just enough, and you leave feeling great. You you kind of feel lighter almost, and and you you feel like you don't need anything. You feel like um, fulfilled, and and and. It's, it's funny. This is actually what leads to generosity. You feel like you don't need anything from anything. That was good. What's next? You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, so it's interesting of just just hanging in with things if we can. We experience more, and a lot of what we kind of like are always grinding and trying to get out of life. A lot of times, right there, if we slow down a little bit. Um, and I teach that a lot in music. Musicians, we will pick up an instrument and just practice something over and over and over again for two hours and put it down and feel like we just didn't get it, you know? So I teach this kind of thing with music a lot. And one thing about, uh, you know, we're talking about artists, art, everyday life. We can do this for ourselves. Presenting food in a certain way, even if it's not a lot, with certain contrasts, highlights, the flavors of the food, and encourages us to slow down a little bit and really kind of be there with the food. You know? And we might go to a restaurant expecting to have this kind of experience, and so we walk in and we kind of we slow down. We take a moment. We look at the food before we eat it, you know? So there's a definite element of art in there. So some people say that um, cooking is an art. Some people say it's not it's certainly artful if it's done that way so another thing that happens i'm actually going to do this is an exercise that i do with my um uh the students whenever i'm teaching my um classes they're called amped authentic musician performance training amped 
and um, muse, um, musician, songwriting exercise, exercises. They both start with this practice we're about to do, which is the audio version of this. But the thing about audio is that it's very closely related with the sense of touch. Sound is air moving, vibrations of air. We feel vibration. If you don't think <laughs> that sound is vibration, I'm sure no one's going to argue that point. But just imagine the time, I'm sure this has happened to you, walking down the street and a great big Mack truck right beside you goes, and your whole body, right? You feel a hit of air. You actually feel it in different parts of your body if you do like me, if you're a music nerd and kind of analyze these things. But another thing that happens, you feel that hit, and then your body also reacts to it. So you have two things. You have this, this sensation, the physical sensation of the sound itself, and then you have like an emotional reaction to the sound. But they're both there. A lot of times when we hear music, <laughs> you know, a lot of I used to be, and sometimes on occasion still am, a horrible music snob. And then I started teaching music, and I found that all music is music. It doesn't matter if I like it; I can teach it. It's fascinating, and how to play it is fascinating. And of course, it occurred to me that the thing is that often that we or I don't like about certain kinds of music is not the music itself. It's like what the subculture it is associated with it, you know, or the period of history or, you know, all the kind of things that go along with the music, socially speaking. But the music itself is just sound. It's lyric. So a lot of times when we have reactions to music, we're reacting to what we think about it, reacting to what our associations are. But when you go to just hear music, it's interesting. So I'm going to play some music for you. I hope it's not too loud when it starts out. I've adjusted it to be... <laughs> There's no way to tell. There's no way to tell, right? Okay. So what I'd like for you to do, like we did before, aware posture. Breathing in and out. Breathing out kind of through your whole body. A sense of space outside of you and inside of you. Just a real sense of space. And you kind of dissolve the boundary of your, your inner world and the outer world. And I'm going to play short pieces of music back to back. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice what if you have any physical sensations in your body, if you feel anything while the music is happening. If so, where, what's going on? Okay? So, a few breaths out, dissolve, and here we go.
Ah, I couldn't leave you with that third one. I couldn't let that be the last thing you heard. Did anyone notice any body sensations, any physical sensation? Um, let's see. My heart started beating faster in the third one. <laughs> in rather like a, a like a fearful reaction. Mm-hmm. And it felt uh very much more stilled in the fourth one. Uh, I think because of that lowest note, that the pattern is to come back to that low note. So we start to anticipate the low note, and there is a kind of security in it. I I respond to bass bass notes. (laughs) Ah, in what in what way bass notes? Um, I find them resonant in my chest. Feel it in your chest. Yeah. 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 So the, the first one, you, you, your heart beat increased. In the third, in the third, one. you wouldn't yeah. leave us with. Uh, yes. Yeah. And then my heart started to pound. And then you felt more of a overall. Absolutely. And the fourth one was a very settling. Settled. Uh, uh, in your chest too. Yeah. Um, because of the the bass, the yeah. lowest notes. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, great. Great, thank you. That third one, it makes me nauseous every time I hear it. I actually feel nausea when, when I hear that third one. <laughs> That's why it's like 10 minutes long, you know. I mean, harmonic series, seven minutes and 60 seconds. Could you imagine? And it's just over and over and over. So, um, Glenn Branca, those New Yorkers who were in the avant garde here in New York. Uh, anyway, the, uh, yeah, the, the, those sounds, they, they give us feelings that then are alarming or soothing, right? Um, animals make sounds, squirrels copy the sounds of birds, and birds copy the sounds of squirrels. Specifically, and Carol, you probably know about this, uh, to warn each other when hawks are coming. They borrow each other's sounds. And when they, so when a squirrel hears a blue jay, you know, make the sound, or maybe not a blue jay, they, they have to cover too. There are sounds that we hear in this world that affect us on that animal level that mean instant, like, fear, <laughs> terror, nausea, these, and also security. Or, uh, space and relaxing. When we are working with music, when we're making music, when we're singing, when we're talking to someone, when we're talking to someone, or when we're, when we're talking to someone, we are using, whether we know it or not, we're using these forms of communication to communicate security, danger, and music operates on that. A lot of music um, talks about um, the whole thing of music is tension and release of tension. And Shelley, you just described tension and then release. <laughs> right. So this is um, the thing is, is that this is about aggression and about non-aggression, about something that invites you. A color, 
So I would like for you to look around. It doesn't have to be blue. Blue specifically does invite you, but other colors do too. There's sort of a, there's a notion in our tradition called magnetism. There's a, it kind of invites you in. It doesn't pull you in, but it invites you in. And there are other colors that come at you. This is purely subjective. <laughs> there are no right or wrong choices. It's an interesting thing to notice. The thing is the uh, the kind of there's a value in in just how we relate. You know, some colors invite some things, some colors, some flavors, some smells invite us in. I mean, think of the cartoon with the uh, which is you know all color, but the cartoon when it has the little lines of aroma and the the character floats up in the air and then, you know. <laughs> You know, it's there are some things that that draw us out of what we think we like or know, and you know that's an interesting thing. Like I said, this is about aggression and non-aggression. We think of aggression as yelling at someone, banging someone, but really, there's a there's the kind of Buddhist one of the many (laughs) Buddhist. Definitions of aggression is is wanting the 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 desire to make things different. I things just aren't. I I don't. I gotta get out of this town. You know this. I don't know. I used to love this town. I, I gotta. You know I think things just aren't right. You know, and so um, when a color catches you. It, it, who cares if that's true? I mean, it might be true. It might not be true. But it just it just disappears, right? And for a moment, you're right there with this thing. And then you forget about whether the city's right. It doesn't mean, oh, I just saw this thing and it's great. So therefore, the city's right for me. I need to stay. It's just that you're not caught up in that kind of analysis and stuff. And, and that's what art does for us, right? When we see art, when we make art, uh, it, and I say art, it's anything. It's any, you can draw something, you can draw a card for someone's birthday. Any little thing that if you you if you do it in a way to where you're not trying to use it to say your life is better or should be better or is worse or is not worse. This is just what happens right here and now. And having a sense, having a sense perception, seeing a, a film. With all of the dazzling, you know, or the, oh, how many have you seen films that have such cinematography? You just, you know, of a, of a hillside and you just go, you know, on a big screen, you just, your heart goes, ah, right out there, right? And after we have these kinds of experiences, it leaves us refreshed somewhat to where like, yeah, yeah, I hate this city, but I don't know. I don't know. Let's go get a bite to eat. You know, there's, there's, you know, it gives you a new, a fresh start. It gives you, a, there's a sense that it, there's more than just the problem. So that's actually the big, <laughs> that's the big ta-da at the end of the talk. I just, that's how this stuff, that's why this matters, you know, is because it's a, it's a, we can use these simple, free, Always available at any time 
even if you only have one sense perception that works, you can do this. <laughs> you know, at any time we can go, you know, this is driving me crazy, but the wine's okay. The wine's pretty good. You know, and it kind of gives you a little buoy and you feel like, oh, maybe there's more to this world. There's more. It's not, not stuff. So the last sense perception, I, uh, aroma, I want you to do because I can't make sure that you all have a rose in your house. <laughs> There's something about roses. Um, when you smell a rose, an actual rose, not a, you know, rose air freshener, there is the, the smell of rose that we know, but something else happens. And you may or may not know what I'm talking about. But when you put your nose into a room and you breathe in, there's this sense of fresh, vast freshness. It's not a smell. There is the smell of rose. But there's this other thing that happens too that just goes, whoa. But try that out. See if you, see if you have that experience. Ask the experience I have, this experience of space. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.